0: A new day another morning after Leaning back on my chair in a greasy spoon cafeteria Last night was some beer lairiness Done our way But again we're back in the light of day Chatting shit sitting at the
1: Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Filmiak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. This week we're here to talk JR's pick, The Arbor. Uh, from 2010. Directed by Cleo Barnard. Barnard? Barnard? And uh, it's a documentary. The documentary reinvented, the tagline says. Yeah. Kind of embarrassing. But uh, uh yeah, we're going to talk about The Arbor. We're also going to be talking about uh, a couple of other things we watched, including very recent releases. Oh, yeah. So get ready. How's it? How's you guys been doing for the last three days since we recorded last?
2: Doing great. Doing great. My eighth graders are ready to... Uh, leave leave eighth grade, and we are excited that there's only one more week. Mm. An- another whole week? Yeah. Well, they- yeah. Their last
1: day is Thursday. Mm. Oh, that's brutal, dude. Yeah. EBR's Ebr finished yesterday. Like. Winston was done at 9 a.m. yesterday. He went home, played Fortnite all day. So, then, sounds like a
2: normal day. Yeah, yeah. And
1: then for me, I only I only have school until Tuesday, and then I have graduation to go to on Wednesday. Mm. So it's not that different, I guess. But um, anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's all coming to a close here. Summer's gonna start. It's gonna be beautiful. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. Let's uh let's get to uh, what we watched. Let's do it. And I guess it's just me and Jr. Right? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, do you want you got you want to talk about those who wish me dead? Yeah. Which you watched last night? Watched
2: it. Watched it late last night.
1: Yeah. All right. How would you think about it? This is uh from 2021. This is directed by Taylor Sheridan, who did Wind River, and uh, stars Angelina Jolie as a smoke jumper. A little firestorm action.
2: This felt. Like I was watching it at the right time on a television, this felt like I should have been watching it on TNT <laughs> in nineteen ninety nine. Yes, at one a.m. Yes. And uh, so that that worked. Yeah um, you you so desperately needed this redemption for Taylor Sheridan. <laughs> you are, are forcing the redemption. This movie has like very little going on besides Aiden Gillen. <laughs> Oh, and God. some some cool some cool lighting effects when they're near fire.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. I think Aiden Gillen is definitely the standout of the entire thing and um <clears throat> I think uh I think there's a couple of I okay, to say this is redemption for Sheridan a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I think his best work might be behind him, but th- this is uh certainly leaps and bounds better than Without Remorse. So I'm happy about that. And it definitely feels more like Sheridan's typical sort of it has a lot of his uh, trademarks in it, like the sort of tactical combat things that the um, that the uh, two assassins employ throughout the the piece. So like, for instance, it reminds me of um, I was thinking about this earlier when I went to Starbucks this morning, I was thinking about Uh, for some reason, the way of the gun came into my head and I was thinking that's like the beginning of my infatuation with that sort of like, uh, you know, tactical shit in movies, like actual, actual tactics that army people use being like in film, like and being accurate, you know, like trigger discipline and like, um how to clear a room and things like this, because the two lead characters in way of the gun, they use all this kind of, uh, they use these tactics and they also use the, the lingo and the jargon and what, and what, and, uh, so forth. And in this film, Aiden Gillen and Nicholas Holt are the two assassins and they actually use lines. I mean, I guess it's just, it's the jargon of the, you know, of their trade or of the military, but they use the same kind of lingo and jargon that they use in way of the gun, like the, down to the word. Um, to, for instance, when they're covering each other, I forget what actually happened. I think they're in the. Um, it's when they're in the forest. I mean, obviously, the whole movie's in the forest, but it's when they're. Uh, I think it's when they're when they leave the house after they almost kill the the woman, the pregnant lady, uh, John Bernthal's wife. When they leave the house, they're doing like the they're like covering each other and, and like one of them is pointing the gun and he says move and the other guy moves and then he gets to a point where he can cover the guy and he says move and the other guy moves. And it's it's exactly like what happens in uh the way of the gun during the kidnapping scene. I don't know if you guys remember this, but <laughs> in the way of the gun when they're trying to kidnap uh Juliet Lewis. And they cover themselves because they're retreating. They're like, it's, it's just like a very like, it's like tactical retreating. I don't know. It just really gets me going. I really love that kind of shit. And that's what Taylor Sheridan does best, in my opinion, is that he provides like that sort of authenticity, even though this movie is not authentic at all. Like it's completely ridiculous. It's a ludicrous concept. And like you said, it's a very 90s, late 90s action movie concept. And I would go one further. I'd say TNT definitely, but on a Sunday afternoon, like if this was on a Sunday afternoon on TV, I'd watch it. Even if it was, like, cut up probably. When I was a teenager, you know, I would have watched the shit out of this, like, all the time. Mm. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely good in that way. And um, I'd say it's a little less interesting than his previous directorial effort, which was Wind River. But Wind River isn't amazing either. It's just, you know, it's good they're good. These are good movies. He he's a he's a very serviceable filmmaker.
2: We didn't mention this, uh, and I didn't know it. That he's that uh, Sheridan's like the, the creator and showrunner of Yellowstone. Yeah. That, you know, mm. feels like a massive show, it just seems like be very popular, especially on the internet. But um I does he film that in the same area? Was this just like a we've got time, I don't want to leave Montana? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I mean I, I was I would assume they're not f- terribly far away. I I tried to watch Yellowstone. I got halfway through the the first episode, which is like an hour and a half long, and um, I don't know. It just wasn't. Uh, it has some of those elements that I was talking about in it, which is interesting, but it's also a little bit overwrought in my opinion i mean just that just from judging from the first half of the first episode so i mean it's not maybe not a fair judgment but i've heard a lot of great things about it and i'll probably give it another shot at some point what's disappointing about yellowstone no fault of the show but is that it's a paramount show like it's on paramount network Mm. and now they have paramount plus which i pay for monthly and it's not on there
2: wait what So, like, I can't watch. So, I have to go.
1: So, I went to the library and rented the Blu-rays, and then I ended up keeping them too long, and now I owe, you know, $1,000 at the (laughs) library or whatever. So, it's like, so it's just like, I can't, you know, I mean, I pay for Paramount Plus. Just put your shows on the fucking thing. I don't know why they're, Hmm. it must be some kind of legal thing. I don't know. Are they? But you would think they'd own the program. I don't know. So,
2: Yellowstone's not streaming anywhere?
1: I mean, it's streaming on, like, iTunes and shit, not for free anywhere, not as far as I know.
2: Man. that's You can buy the episodes. Bizarre. it yeah. seems like that awesome. would be a major draw to get people to get Paramount+. Plus, mm. Right? Like people yeah, love exactly.
1: Yeah, it would be huge. I don't know why it's not on there. It really frustrates me. But if it was on there, I would definitely, you know, give it a real go and try, especially during the summer, which is, you know, I'm just going to be sitting around doing nothing. So I'll probably uh, – you know, I would definitely try to watch it at that point if it was if it ever comes on. I think it'll, you know, eventually maybe drop on there. But um I the the biggest issue I had with those who wish me dead was Jolie. I don't know if you feel the same way, but like yeah. Angelina Jolie is like horribly miscast in this. Like it's... she's so gaunt and like just does not strike me as someone who does anything related to this job ever.
2: Yeah, I <clears throat> I don't and I don't know why she'd even like want to be in this movie. It's not you know, it's like you look at the concept and you think there's going to be like some cool like fire stuff and stunts and they're just, there aren't. She does like the weird parachute thing from a truck bed, um, which was just, you know, a hilarious way of showing us that like she's damaged. Yeah. She just doesn't care. It's brutal. <laughs> um,
1: I thought I was in for a two star at that point.
2: No. And that's really worried. I, I I don't want to call Angelina bad, but she's also, she's almost like, she's anonymous as like this gorgeous, striking person can be, in the role, and and that's, Mm. it's like weird that, her fireman friends aren't just hitting on her all the time. She's just too, she, she's too hot to be there. Um, Yeah, I agree. and, And I don't I don't know what Angelina's supposed to do. That's, it's not, it's not her fault. She's so, um, gorgeous, but,
1: uh. I don't, I don't 100% agree with that. I think that she, she looks dolled up in this. She looks like a Paris runway model. Like, there's no reason she couldn't have, like, I, for the first thing I thought was like, her hair is ridiculous. Cut your hair. If she would to cut her hair, like, given like, more of like a, like a butch look or something, like, wouldn't have that done, that would have done, uh, uh, loads to, you know, sort of contribute to the believability of her being in this in this job she also could have done any type of like physical training like maybe like beef up a little bit you know yeah you're right you're right yeah you're right i mean i agree she's just her facial features are like crazy striking so it's it's difficult to assume that she's led any kind of difficult life especially one of like a smoke jumper i mean like you know i mean she's not haggard at all but there are things that she could have done outside of her you know, her makeup, like, right. she, like there's all kinds of different ways, but it's just, I, I just, yeah, I found her to be absolutely ridiculous looking in the, in the, <laughs> role. I don't think she's like necessarily a bad actress in the role, I don't think she puts in a terrible performance or anything, I think everybody's pretty serviceable, but, um, I love the, uh, I love all the action in it, I love the gunplay, I love the violence, it's wonderful.
2: It also, <laughs> you know, it not, it doesn't help angelina that she gets she gets the job of being stuck with the kid and the kid's not bad but that's just of all the things going on that ends up being the least interesting thing like
1: yeah i think the kid yeah i agree the kid is fine except he suffers from the same problem that a lot of kids i think suffer from movies like this where the the writer has no idea how to write dialogue for a kid and he writes it for an adult and then the kid has to say it like an adult so like things like when he's driving in the car with his dad at the beginning of the movie and they're looking out, he's just staring out the window at the scenery and he says, I like this place. I like the space of it. Like, no kid who's 11 (laughs) has ever said this. Like, it's just an absurdly poetic, ridiculous thing to say. It makes no sense. You know? And that that kind of thing drives me nuts, too. But
2: Yeah. Those
1: fires, though, right? Oh, I mean, honestly, some of the best CG fire I've ever seen. I mean, like, not bad CG, especially that the flashback that she keeps having where the guy uh catches on fire during the fighting of yeah. the fire I don't know like that looks really good to me honestly I was like that looks crazy real the so not bad the
2: moment before or the moment when they jumped into the creek uh like where the fires literally chasing them it's like the the yeah. fire wave I didn't think mm. that looked great but that was probably the only moment involving fire that I I didn't really care for
1: that moment and also the explosion of the house at the beginning when they blow up the guy's house. Oh, sorry. I, I, th- I thought that, that looked like shit. Yeah,
2: I was not thinking of that. That's not... Uh, right.
1: But, I mean, as far, far as CG effects go in the movie. And also, I mean, this just contributes to how, like, sort of late 90s action this is. The, the scene where they're running across the field and the lightning is striking them all around them. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know if that's, like, a real thing at all or, like, based in any kind of reality. It seems ridiculous, that so lightning acts this way ever but
2: yeah that that trained no i mean um that kind of lightning risk in like an open field depending on the elevation is it's pretty crazy but uh to for it to be just tracking them uh for hundreds <laughs> of yards is i'm pretty sure quite ridiculous but it's, that's uh it's zeus
0: guys come on
2: it
1: looked, honestly, it, you would, you would read it that way. Like if you watch it, you're like, there's somebody controlling the lightning and trying to kill mm-hmm.
2: them. I thought it was weird that the, like the fire tower doesn't have any sort of like system for like light, like it's meant to attract the lightning probably. So it doesn't start a fire. Well, has, but, she
1: has the right. They have the, um, that one scene where she's on top and she jumps off on the rope. No, but, but it, because the lightning is hit, but it
2: fries the whole station and she has no way to get it back
1: oh right that's like, true yeah that's silly. why
2: there There needs to be some sort of like safeguard for for that so because you know there's a lot of lightning she still needs to be able to use that radio and
1: yeah that's a good point I, and your and your tower that. actually i mean yeah. when that happened i was just kind of like i was overly um concerned about the fact that she fell like you know 75 feet and is fine that was mm.
2: a pretty tall tower
1: yeah I mean, she like literally just fell right onto her back and then just woke right up like, oh man, that was, that was tough. Let me get up. <laughs> <laughs> my,
2: my hands hurt from the, uh, from yeah. the rope burns. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. My, my yeah. That's her most serious injury.
1: But, you know, again, I, I forgive it all these little sort of, um, nitpicks of, I mean, it's just part of what the movie is, you know, part of what the genre is and it's a definite throwback. And, um, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I would definitely like watch it again at some point in the future as pure entertainment. <clears throat> My friend Rustin, he's an you know, he's been on the show before. He uh he's obsessed with John Bernthal. Mm-hmm. Like he loves this guy. And so I immediately told him, I was like, dude you gotta go watch them Those Who Wish Me Dead. Johnny Bernthal
2: is in it. Oh sweet. He's like he's all excited. <laughs> <laughs> is that guy? is that like a Punisher thing? Isn't he the Punisher? No, he
1: liked him he liked him he likes Punisher. He liked daredevil he liked it when he showed up in daredevil he was like super psyched uh no he, like, he liked him from uh i think of the walking dead is the first thing he saw him in oh that's right he's in Sorry. the first season television in, in, uh <laughs> right <laughs> i mean that was mm. the first thing i saw him in too mm. and then he was he showed up in uh wolf of wall street and i thought he was awesome in that and so i've been a i've been a fan of his he's, he's got a he's got a sort of um just above a cameo in wind river and he is Terrific Mm. in Wind River. He has a couple of great scenes. So, anyway, all right, on to uh, Army of the Dead. (laughs) Yeah, we're just we're just plugging along here. (laughs) So Army of the Dead uh, came out yesterday. This has got to be the quickest we've ever reviewed something. Maybe I think we did uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine back when it was me and Kevin and Jordan.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: Right right like the day after it came out, or something. But, um, yeah, so Army of the Dead is uh, Zack Snyder's new zombie film. It's on Netflix. It stars Dave Bautista and uh, some other people. Is there anybody really else in this? I mean,
2: um, what's his fate? Garrett Dillahunts in it. The only other person I even maybe recognized was Tignataro, the comedian, as the helicopter oh, oh, pilot. And and uh, Hiroyuki Sonata. Oh, I mean, it's that's. F- functionally one scene and like we get a little glimpse of him he's still he's there
1: yeah (laughs) he's in it um but yeah and Garrett Garrett Dillahunt plays his his uh the Burke of this film if you were an aliens fan (laughs) the the (laughs) yeah the the guy who comes in with them and stabs them all in the back do you did you know this Jarrett that Tignataro took over this role after it was done filming they
2: had uh they had Chris D'Elia
1: in the role and they replaced him with cg uh
2: mm. i didn't know that i there are moments where it's weird that tina is only talking to dave bautista like yeah. like it's like she's almost like the sixth sense bruce willis of this or <laughs> like <laughs> or one of them is uh just like right <clears throat> that that was bizarre um, well, but i didn't
1: when know she that. when she uh when they're in the lobby of the hotel and he's like, get up to the roof and uh, get the helicopter running. And then he's like, you, so and so, you go with her, you know. And then they run up to the. I was like, the next scene is them coming out of the door on the roof. I was like, really? Like, there's no resistance in this hotel. I would think there'd be like scenes it, of them trying to get to the roof. And I was just, and, and after I read about her being her replacing Chris, I was like, oh, I bet there are tons of scenes like that, yeah. and they mm-hmm. cut them all because that <laughs> they I can't
2: afford to reshoot. <laughs>
1: That makes sense. She she literally does nothing in the entire movie. I mean, she goes up to the roof. She's by herself well, for two hours.
2: Yeah, to, to the point where I was almost like, I know she's going to die. Um, you know, she's too smarmy to to not die. But it's we're not giving we're not giving her a chance to die. Yeah. Uh, until you know the helicopter shenanigans, which yeah makes sense. Mm. But yeah, they <clears throat> yeah I'll let you keep going okay well
1: uh well just (laughs) the last thing about her uh, about her uh being having replaced crystalia is that i before i read that also when they're first entering the outskirts of las vegas like through the tunnel and everything you can see it's like really weird looking there's a wide shot where they're all walking in and she is obviously cg'd into the scene like over Where he would have been standing, it's so strange. And I was watching; I was like, "What are they doing? Like, what is this about?" And everything just became so clear once I read that. uh, Is
2: is the whole film in that like soft, shitty focus to facilitate the Tignataro CG?
1: I I I don't. I mean, uh, is is the soft focus something they do in post? I don't know because I mean, everything (laughs) as far as I know, this film this this was shot in twenty nineteen. And it was supposed to come out last year, and then he had the huge... He got canceled last year, obviously, and yeah. at that point they brought her in and they shot her scenes with her on a green screen stage. And I think, I, honestly, I mean, I don't mind her in the movie. I think she's not a good actress at all, but she's definitely, like, dryly funny and stuff. She has a couple of moments where I, I chuckled at things that she said. I'm not a... I don't know much about her. I mean, I know the basics of her, you know, like her... What she's been doing the last 10 years with her cancer and her stand up
2: and everything, but I don't, I haven't ever watched her stand up. You anymore. can, Zack Snyder is probably the exact wrong director to have a Tignataro type person. Like, cause, and this is probably a function of the reshoots as well, but like her moments, like her comedic relief moments are just so, like, they just like, hey, let's, let's stop everything. Stop everything to have this moment. Like the, the conversation with like, uh you know, i like yeah, the guy with the safe, he's the most important. But I'm flying the helicopter, so I'm like, what, I'm second most important. I can't. Oh right, yeah. I can't get killed, or or we can't get out. Like that just like stops what they're doing, just dead in its tracks for like three minutes. And you're like, what is this? Is well, this I mean, is mildly of, funny. Right, I agree. And
1: there's a lot of like. Wasted time in the movie. I mean, I feel like they, th- T- this time. movie could be s- so tight and fun. And instead, it's this bloated two and a half hour, you know, uh, where, where, where there's not nearly enough. Like, I mean, there's tons of like action, but the action's so repetitive. Like, everything that happens is the exact same. I mean, there's like a couple of fun sequences. Like, I like the sequence where they're trying to sneak back, sneak past the sleeping zombies. I thought that was like, you know, Good. I didn't think it was effective at all, suspense wise. But you know, and it could have been. But I thought it was at least you know nice whenever they woke up and they had to start fighting the zombies. Like that's fun. I enjoyed that. There's not nearly enough like like a sense of danger for what they're doing. It's more like they're having fun doing what they're doing, which as opposed to you know, but that's being scared at
2: all. That's something Snyder should have leaned into. Like if he wants to do the fun thing, you got to do the fun thing. But to, to mix that with Dave Bautista, like his flashback of stabbing his wife in the top of the head, and like all of that darkness, and then to have all of the seriousness and just basically everything with his daughter and that subplot of like of that kind of side mission that she wants, yeah, like that's all it all detracts from what could be and should be the fun thing, uh, and that you know, and this is this is like a common thing was Zack Snyder for me it's just like the tone management we could have we could have had this one thing that is fun and it could have been 95 to 100 minutes uh, but we added all in all this other stuff that kind of takes away from basically from what you wanted I think or or what Absolutely. what I was led to believe you wanted uh, maybe that's not what Zack Snyder wanted Zack Snyder did want to make a very serious uh zombie oceans 11. Um, or whatever.
1: (laughs) I mean, we'll get to that too. That's another issue I have with the heist element of it. I have a major issue with, but speaking of Bautista and his kid, there is like nothing I care about less in this movie than his relationship with his daughter and like their little tender moments where they're both about to cry. Like I could give a shit every time they start talking to each other. I'm just like, what, why are we wasting time watching this? Like nobody cares about this relationship I don't understand why he thinks that this is going to be like. I mean, I mean, I guess by default it is like the emotional throughline of the film, but like there's just no reason for it to be there at no. all. Mm. It's manufactured. It's gross. It just feels so f- disingenuous. And I like Bautista in this. I, I'm I, I've only seen a couple of things that he's been in. And I think that he's you know certainly a competent performer. Like he seems like he is better at acting than most of his wrestling turned actors counterparts but the, the the shit in here where he has to you know be sad face and, uh, <laughs> and 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 like make some kind of overture to his kid it's just so it's just so boring I'm just like ready to go like let's go let's get back to the killing of the zombies or something else but as far as the heist element goes, I wanted it, like, when they, when, that's, like, the thing that drew drew me into it initially from the trailer is when, um, Sonata, as, whatever his character name is, Tanaka, Tanaka, uh, hires this guy to put together a crew to go break into this casino vault and get this money out of this, like, that's a great idea, it reminds me of, uh, Kelly's Heroes or something, you know, it's like, or, uh, uh, Three Kings, you know, they're going into enemy territory, they're gonna get all this gold and they're gonna leave, Such a great idea, and then he goes and hires a safe cracker who literally doesn't even crack a safe. He just listens to it with his his ear and turns the thing until he hears the click. And he's the only person on the planet who can do this for some reason. I was expecting him to like them to have to like bring tools in and shit, like a like like the movie Thief, you know, them having to like break through the the Mm. thing somehow. It's just so ridiculous that. They would, and, and then it's like Tanaka doesn't Tanaka's money's in the safe. Doesn't he own the safe? Like why does why can't he just give them the combination to get into it? shit like this. It just makes it, it, it just makes no sense yeah. to me. And it could have been so much more fun if they had like, hell, oh, he's trying to get into the safe and they're working. It's going to take him you know an hour and a half to get into it, and the zombies are at the door and they have to fight them off until he gets in. Like that's such a cool idea and that would have been really fun, but they just barely get into that. And there's all these lame like self sacrifice <laughs> where he you know pushes the uh the black guy Vander Vandero they push he pushes him into the vault and closes it. and then I was like when he put when he pushes that guy into the vault and closes it so that the zombies can't get to him I was like well you just killed that guy right like there's no way to get out of the vault and at the end of the movie he just appears like he's just out of the vault like, <laughs> like how did he get out of the fucking vault they said
2: that if and how did he how did he survive the the n- nuclear aftermath not the bomb but the he's just like walking through the remains of a nuclear explosion exactly
1: like he's if he's not going to become a zombie which he obviously is he's definitely going to be dead from radiation poisoning in a week
2: and obviously should have already like bautista has turned into a zombie already at that point
1: i know yeah everybody turns to a zombie instantly except this guy it's absurd and then i was thinking uh there's just so many, like, loose ends that seem like they're cliffhangers to lead into a the inevitable sequel. Because I'm sure this movie is going to be, like, a record breaker for Netflix. But, like, they, like, whenever the the king zombie guy, he, like, stabs the blonde girl. Uh, whatever, I can, I'm sorry. I can it, the blonde girl. Lily the coyote, that girl, the French girl. He stabs her and then he, like, she drops the the head onto the thing. Anyways, I was like, oh, obviously she's going to become, like, his queen now. You know, But then they drop a nuke on the entire city. But I'm like, well, obviously they're going to be back, though, in the sequel. They'll write some kind of I – mean, because you could do anything. You can just write that, you know, oh, they managed to get into a room that was secure or something. Mm-hmm. You know? A refrigerator. It just seems really – yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Indiana Jones style, yeah. right? So it just – I don't know. The whole thing didn't, didn't end up working as well as those first ten minutes for me. Those first ten minutes are a blast. And I yeah. thought – I was like, this is the movie I want to watch. And it just
2: was not that movie. After two no. and a half more and, hours, you know, I, I've got a bunch of negatives to say about it. I do think it's more enjoyable than many Zack Snyder movies I've seen. Uh, I know that you won't agree with that. You won't agree with that as much, but
1: I think it's right is, on track yeah. with most of the shit I've seen. Uh, from except for I think Watchmen is better than this.
2: I think um, he. I think he kind of he reins in some of like the snyder isms that i make fun of even though like he's still every you know someone's about to die because uh the score abruptly changes and all of a sudden we're doing a lot of slow-mo where mm. he actually he reigns in the slow-mo for like the average you know the average just fight or whatever but yeah whenever someone's gonna die we slow it down hmm
1: yeah, I mean, and and his use of music similar to the Snyder cut of Justice League, just a lot of like really gross acoustic cover songs. I was just I was I was over it after the third one or so. I was just like this is enough. Like you got to stop. And luckily I don't think he uses any more after the midpoint of the movie, but uh Tignataro speaking of- <laughs> keep going back to her but uh <laughs> she obviously she's probably not a smoker i would assume and uh the cigar that she keeps smoking is the smoke is cg <laughs> and it looks really bad Um do you think
2: tin and was like even in a locate like did she film it all from home
1: i think she oh from home i don't know i'm sure she went to a studio space but uh yeah i mean there's no way she went any i mean i'm sure the whole movie was shot on a studio i don't assume that they shot any of it well i know they shot uh the interiors of the casino was in um Atlantic City I read. Mm. Some some uh, disused casino there. It really made me want to play a zombie game. So that's probably the most positive thing I could say about <laughs> it is that it like really makes me want to play a I forget what that game is that's coming out later this month. It's like back. It's a it's a Left for Dead sort of it's from the guys who made Left for Dead mm-hmm. anyways. Um yeah, so I'm excited for that. Uh there's a lot of uh parallels to aliens like beyond the garrett dillahunt being burke like a complete ripoff of burke actually like the exact same character because he's he's there to bring back the zombies to the (laughs) to the world to get tested and uh and also you know he's obviously ready to screw everyone over and he there's multiple scenes where he locks them all out of a room and uh they're you know they're about to get killed And there's also this line where they, where I forget who says it, but one of them says something about the zombies and he's like, you don't see them fucking each other over. And I'm pretty sure that exact same line is in one of the alien movies. It might be resurrection. Also, (laughs) they, I mean, this is, these are nitpicks, but like they get into the vault. There's $200 million in the vault. It's all in bills there. I mean, it must be like three gigantic pallets of money. What? How are they getting that into this chopper with seven people and flying this chopper out? Like, the, I don't know much about helicopters, but I know they have a weight limit. <laughs> you know, there's no way you're getting all this fucking money in that chopper. And they no. just end up putting it in bags, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, we got all the money. It's in these bags, but there's like four bags, you know? It's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. A little lame. Yeah, so I'm not interested. surprised they, well,
2: you know, I, I guess we've, we've thoroughly spoiled this movie, I guess, but, uh, you know...
1: Well, you knew they were going in for money. I mean, it's in the trailer going in. No, no, no,
2: like they just—they don't get it. They don't get out with the money.
1: Yeah, they all. Well, I didn't say that. I mean, I'm not saying that.
2: No, I, I I'm think it's—I think it's funny that they get out with realistically. No money. Oh, I agree. I
1: think it's. I mean, honestly, it's sort of a missed opportunity to, for you know, some kind of dramatic irony. You know that they, it's almost like a like the scene in um, Triple Frontier, where they have to. Did you see Triple Frontier? Yeah, of course. Okay. Where they uh, they steal all the money and then they end up having to drop it all because and again, that's that's realistic, right? Because mm-hmm. the helicopter can't handle the weight and they're trying to get away. Like it's a, it's a good good ironic uh, twist. Also, okay, so I have one more thing, and this is this is the last thing I want to say about this movie for me, but did you notice that some of the zombies there were at least two scenes where the zombies appeared to be robotic? No. Did you didn't notice this? Okay. Like with the with like with the blue
2: um like brains?
1: No, no 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 The blue brains all the only time I noticed that was the uh the leader guy when he shoots him at the end. There, and that was weird too. I didn't hundred percent get that. There either. were
2: a couple of like snippets of blue <clears throat> blue in like the headshots in the casino where they were fighting all of the alpha zombies.
1: Okay, well maybe that's what I'm seeing, but I could have sworn that during that, when they're shooting all those in the, in the on the casino floor, when Bautista is, like, you know, just getting nothing but headshots, when he's spraying a machine gun at them. And uh, there's one... At one point, he shoots one of them, and his head, like, you know, explodes. And there's, like, mechanical shit and sparks that come out of his head.
2: I think that was... I do think that was, like, the blue stuff that's supposed to be in the Alpha Zombies.
1: Okay. Because I was and, really and confused
2: then, about it until we saw... King zombie, uh, get shot. And then I was like, oh, this is like whatever, like virus serum thing, like must, Mm -hmm. must do something blue to these, uh, well, we
1: know that the aborted fetus or the dead fetus was blue also. So that makes sense. I don't, I mean, the. It's, yeah, I it was just, I was really confused. I mean, that makes total sense because I was, there's no other explanation. It's just obviously not, they're not robots. Like, it was just very strange. I was like, what is going on? Like, why well, all of a sudden do they appear to be, and there's another scene where they're like, one of their eyes are glowing in the dark. I was like, is that supposed to tell us that they're robots too? I, I was just like,
2: I was trying to think of like a reason why they would be, but. No, and he's, this is good job on Snyder, uh, setting up enough lore without explaining it that, uh. That the people who love this movie will just be clamoring for, for more of this shit next time. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah.
2: And I'm I'm gonna assume that um that the dude who, who escaped, uh, the vault. I'm gonna assume that he was bitten by an alpha. Um, he was bitten by the main the main he, okay. king one. I I honestly yeah. forgot. <laughs> okay. He pulls his
1: arm and like breaks it and then like bites down on him and then that's when uh the German guy, like, knocks the, knocks the Alpha over. Because the Alpha is insanely powerful and can't be stopped, but anybody who hits him in the head with any sort of blunt object, like,
2: knocks him on his ass. It just, <laughs>
0: like, it's just so convenient, See, you know?
2: There's, there's a whole movie here that we didn't get. That, um, the German guy, the safecracker, was actually a superhero. You know, the first time he picked up a gun, bullseye, bullseye. He just, you know, he's doing all kinds of headshots, and he's surprised every time. Uh, this is... This guy was Clark Kenting uh through this entire thing. He could have he could have killed every zombie he wanted. I agree. I kind of actually had that thought too whenever that
1: he was cuz they were laying it on so thick that he was like the scared I don't know what to do guy of the film and I was like, you know, it's gonna there's going to be some twist that reveals that he's like an ex black op or something <laughs> and he knows how to yeah. do all kinds of shit and <clears throat> didn't quite get there but anyway, I mean it's you know, it's nothing to This is not one that I'm looking forward to ever rewatching, but no one's going to make you. I appreciate that. I really do. (laughs) I gave it a two and a half
2: anyway. Me too, and I'm I'm done. I'm done. Perfect
1: score. Uh, Okay, well, I'll talk about um, the punishment pick. Oh, sorry, I meant I'm done with
2: this movie. Right. Okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah, of (laughs) course. But just just saying, (laughs) I'm not done with all my movies. I'm just done with that movie. I'm going to talk about the uh, the
1: punishment pick anyway, right. and uh, which is the harder they come, which is directed by Perry Hens- Hensel, right? Is that right? I'm sorry. Yeah, Hensel. I mean, Perry Hensel. Yeah, looks like that's right. Uh, and stars Jimmy Cliff, the musician, and uh, who has not been in anything. I thought that I, I was under the impression that Jimmy Cliff was like an actor, but he's only been in like two things where he was acting, mm. apparently, maybe three, but um. Yeah, this is like a movie about a Jamaican guy who moves to the big city, Kingston, in the seventies, and he wants to become a music 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 star, a pop star, or a reggae star. Mm-hmm. I guess is what he's doing reggae. I mean, is that song a reggae song?
2: I've, I don't know if, like what the difference is. I don't know. I'm not gonna pretend to to know that. Could be like yeah. a dub song. I think there's mm-hmm. a difference there, but I wouldn't. I also don't know the difference.
1: I think the song is quite good actually very uh I could see it like it it makes like when I'm watching a movie and the song becomes like sort of uh something of a hit i'm like i i I could see that becoming a hit I could see people like liking the song and um being into it, but this is a really interesting film because the the character uh that Jimmy Cliff plays ivan martin he he's sort of directionless he just wants to like he reminds me of like um I'm surprised this movie's not like huge with the rap community because it reminds me of like rapper stories. Like it it reminds me of like eight mile or, uh, or get rich or die trying one of these, like sort of like I came from nothing. I was homeless, but then I managed to get into a studio and lay down a song and then I become, I became the man, but it didn't work out because I was still in a life of crime. And (laughs) I'm just, I just really, it's, it, it really reminded me of that. And, um, this character Ivan Martin does indeed get screwed over by uh his record producer and ends up turning to a life of crime. And I don't know, I really enjoyed the the film for the most part. I think it's a little maybe over long a little bit. You could probably shave 10 or 15 minutes off of this movie and it would be even better. Mm. Uh but I think per- Jimmy Cliff is pretty solid in it. Most of the actors are decent. There's a couple of, uh, in this who are like obviously not actors and they are not great and they give they give them a little bit too much to do but for the most part I thought it you know was fairly well made it's a little bit amateurish but I mean that's to be expected I think just from the time period and where it was made and everything and uh, I don't know like I would, I would watch this again I liked some of the just like when he becomes a criminal and he like goes all in with the, being a criminal and he he gets his those pistols that he buys and all the stuff with that, and with what he does with those pistols—I don't want to say too much because I don't want to ruin it for Kevin. But it's just really, really, sort of cool stuff. I'm so like, again, I'm surprised that people don't like look at this movie and be like, "Yeah, man, Ivan Martin, Jimmy Cliff's the man." You know, it's sort of like how they they worship Scarface in the hip hop mm. community. You know, so it's still a thing. It's like, I think so. I mean, I well, I mean, I don't. I mean, I think that the general. Like uh, gangster movies is a thing, you know, like any kind of gangster film they love, you know, I feel like remember. it's just like, I think, I think it just has to do with that narrative of somebody coming up from nothing and becoming all very, very powerful. Right. Which is how a lot of rappers I think see themselves, you know, they, mm. they, they came from nothing and now they're millionaires and so, yeah, but anyways, the harder they come solid. Solid pick. I'm I'm glad I watched it. I was I was not looking forward to watching it to be honest. <laughs> but uh but I'm glad I did. Cool.
2: Nice. Yes, I got uh just want to do a quick quick report. Um Sure. You know, I did get to Jackass two and uh nice. I thought Jackass two was even funnier than Jackass one. And uh I agree. you know, I just truly really want to call out the uh, the firehouse rodeo where David England uh, just kind of like uh, get gets himself onto a fire hose that's being dangled from a crane and just uh, <laughs> tries to ride it as it's shooting water. Um, the like little like the 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 rocket bike and rocket wheelchair into the lake where they're going <laughs> so slow and just like then like uh, turn the rocket on so they basically just flip flip out instead of going anywhere. And, uh, like the, the, the motorbike mini loop, these were, these were three stunts where I just was like, I was dying. I was watching this in a house by myself, losing my mind. Um, again, there's like the, the penis and poop stuff is, is just there and that's fine. The movie starts with like, with a penis sketch, like the penis puppet show, uh, with a snake. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. that was just a bizarre and aggressive choice for the very like first <laughs> thing after the intro. But anyway, uh, these are great. I'll probably have seen Jackass three before for next time.
1: I feel like um, the I have I have uh, I have an issue with part two, which is that there's a there is a stunt in two that I can't watch. Do you know what it is?
2: Uh, the leech to the eyeball. No, because oh, okay, I fast forwarded that
1: <laughs> it's the paper cut scene where they paper cut themselves in the webbings of their fingers. Oh, that was in the first one. Oh, it was in the first one. Yeah.
2: I thought they have a card thrower in this one that I thought was going to, you know, they were like, they were going to use the cards as paper yeah. cuts, but the card thrower is a uh, a red herring. They end up like having the person they're throwing the cards that sit on a stool that is like electrified. And so that-
1: oh, okay. <laughs> that's classic. Yeah. I can't handle the, the paper cuts from the first one. I, it's like, I cannot watch it. Yeah. I don't know why it really bothers really. me. <laughs> is this, is the second one, uh, the one with the P snow cone?
2: That's the first one
1: too. <laughs> Damn it. Really? <laughs> Fuck. I really thought all that was in the second one. I don't Maybe I like the first one more. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I like the piece snow cone. I think it's. I thought <laughs> he tries to eat it. And he starts throwing. Up. I thought this I one know. had
2: more. Like the the there were more of like these stunts into the lake and around the lake that I just thought were, awesomely conceived. And, That's uh, what you're
1: into. You're into the evil can evil shit that they do.
2: I, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm know. not into the. the you don't s- like the gross out stuff. No. Yeah. So like when when Preston like farts into a tube that goes straight into. <laughs> into a helmet that steve-o's wearing yeah Yeah. i don't love just seeing steve-o vomit into a glass helmet because he is getting like some direct you know fart gas i'm just like why are we doing this it's amazing (laughs) the fart helmet and then they show us that preston actually had pooped into the thing and it's like why didn't you just do a normal fart why'd you have to poop
1: he couldn't help it he's pushing too hard
2: This is Amazing. there's just multiple times in these movies where if someone's been pushing too hard, <laughs> stop pooping guys uh, just yeah I oh uh, just i uh it's...
0: I have a little bit of uh trivia about um ab- about that particular scene um so when Kevin Smith was making Zach and Miri make a porno um like they gave it to the m p a a and they were immediately like. Okay, that's an NC-17. And they were like, NC-17, why? Well, because of the shit. What? And, like, apparently, <laughs> they were like, look, look at this scene in Jackass 2. You can see shit. You can see shit going into this guy's mouth. You gave that an R rating. And it's actual shit, yes, too. Yes, yes. As opposed to, like, very, like, in Zack and Mary Make a Porno, it's very obviously, like, chocolate pudding or whatever. So... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that
1: was, yeah. I would assume that in Zack and Miri, though, if it's a scene I'm re- I'm remembering from that movie, I mean, I would I would assume the MPAA would have an issue with the fact that the sh- where the shit is coming from and why it's coming from where it's and, and you know the the anal sex that's involved right. with that scene, which is I mean that the movie's pretty hardcore, but mm. uh, but yeah, I mean I I the MPAA is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, well, and so.
2: I did re- the IMDb <clears throat> trivia for Jackass Two does say that it did have or they had to edit one thing out to avoid an NC-17, and that was uh, Chris Pontius uh, drinking the, the horse semen. Not oh, yeah, like, I remember that. Because the MPA cited that. that as, like, a pornographic act. Mm. Um, on the DVD, <laughs> that is not censored at all. That's ah. also gross. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> that's, good, that's good for you that you got to see that. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I'm complaining, but uh, I still laughed a lot
1: awesome well uh i'll just r- before we get to the um the main review i watched uh i just i want to mention that i watched ghosts of the civil dead which is john hillcote's first film um which i've been meaning to see for years and it's on youtube so i watched it and uh it's written by nick cave or co-written by nick cave mm. so it's a little bit of a the proposition yeah. connection there proposition is of course a movie that i really really like by hillcote and uh i think hillcote is a Sort of a one-hit wonder. Like, the proposition... For me, the proposition is, like, amazing. Like, I love it a lot. And uh, everything else that he's done is very lackluster, in my opinion. Different levels of lackluster. And I've been meaning to rewatch The Road, because I didn't like it when I saw it. Mm. But I I feel like I might appreciate something about it more now. But I don't like Lawless. I don't like Triple Nine. And I watched Ghost of the Civil Dead, which is a prison film that he made uh, back in 1988... And uh, it's good. It's very bleak, very dark. Similar to, I guess, similar to, tonally to The Proposition. The Proposition is obviously a very, very bleak, sort of disgusting film. <laughs> like, you just feel, like, gross after watching because yeah. everybody looks, you know, haggard and dirty and, and flies disgusting. Flies on everyone's yeah. faces. Exactly, exactly. And this is sort of similar to that in that they're in this prison that's... Um, it's the story of this prison that's that goes into lockdown, and it's the sort of weeks and months that lead up to this lockdown and why they had to go into lockdown, the increasing violence among inmates and so forth. And there's a lot of uh, man-on-man rape, as you can imagine, and uh, people getting stabbed and beaten. And uh, it's, it's very, very, very dark, very hopeless, uh, this film. And that's sort of what brings it down for me, honestly, because... As much as I like a good, you know, ultra bleak narrative, this is sort of like maybe a step too far. I mean, I think there's a point to it, which is, uh, I think it's a commentary on the prison system, to be honest. Even though this is happening in a, in a fictional prison that's part of some, you know, fictional society. Uh, it's not futuristic or anything, but it's, like, obviously not real. And, um... I think it's, uh, but it's, I think it's commentary on on the the prison system. I, I imagine, I guess, in in Australia at the time. And I mean, it definitely you could you could transplant this to America, and it would be the same thing. I mean, it looks very, the prison looks very American, or like things you would see on, you know, TLC programs and things like this about being inside, being in lockup. Mm. But uh, I think that what's interesting is that I'm not sure, and this would be a con- completely unintentional connection. In the in the movie The Arbor, which we're about to review, the whole conceit of the Arbor, or the sort of uh, narrative conceit, is that they they're, they interviewed the people involved in this story that they want to tell. Andrea uh, Arnold Dunbar, her name Arnold Dunbar. Sorry, I'm thinking of the director, <laughs> yeah. right? Andrea Dunbar, uh, her kids mainly, mm-hmm. right, and people associated with her. kids. They interviewed these people off screen. And then they have actors lip-sync their dialogue or lip-sync their interviews. Really, really stepping on my toes oh. here. Okay.
2: just kidding.
1: Sorry. Well, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to – oh, I mean – sorry. Anyways, you can you can re-explain that. But the point is that uh, in, in Ghost of the Civil Dead, I'm pretty sure they do the exact same thing with no, at sure. least one character. There's a character in Solitary Confinement who's very, very old, and he's speaking, and I'm fairly certain that he's lip-syncing to – an interview with an actual prisoner yeah. who is in solitary confinement. And it makes sense because if you read the uh, synopsis on letterbox, it says the story is told in traditional dramatic style combined with telephone interviews and narration. And there's, there are no tele- telephone interviews that you would be able to say, Oh, that's a telephone mm. interview. So I'm thinking that his speaking is the telephone yeah. interview. <clears throat> so I thought it was pretty interesting that that's like, I mean, that's such a weird, unique concept. And then it's, It's in this film as well as, I mean, I'm just assuming it is. I don't know that for sure. It's not in the IMDb trivia or anything.
2: Well, one of the inspirations for the Arbor doing this was, this was like a, this was something that Dunbar employed like on stage at one point, apparently Mm -hmm. like recording voices and having the actors on stage lip syncing to, uh, to them.
1: That's cool. Is she, is she a stage, uh, Oh, I see. Oh, you said you said Dunbar. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was seeing you said the director sorry. of the film. Um, Subject yeah. of the documentary. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Let's. I like the. Uh, I mean, yeah. Let's get into the Arbor. Mm. Yeah. So this is uh, Jr's pick. This is from 2010. It's directed by Cleo Barnard, and uh, I mean, what what do you want to say about this, Jr? Why did you pick this movie?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I picked it because I remember uh, really liking it when I saw it probably, uh, at some point in 2011 or 2012, um, and I just remember being really struck by, by the gimmick, um, and, you know, the gimmick we just discussed of these, uh, these sort of reenactments of interviews, but also reenactments of setting. You know, it's like the, like, we're, we're seeing these actors playing, uh, Lorraine and, and Andrea Dunbar's children and and family and it's not that they're reenacting action in the interviews but they are sort of put into um houses and environments meant to look like the ones Andrea Dunbar grew up in and raised her kids in but yeah th- so this is a uh, a non-traditional documentary covering um this sort of troubled and tragically faded British British playwright who Seem to have gained some, uh, you know, some local fame. I mean, fame around, in and around London. Um, And it's told through these interviews with mostly her family. And uh, Andrea died tragically from what they thought or think was a brain hemorrhage when her oldest daughter Lorraine was just 10. And we hear a good bit about how poorly Andrea treated her mixed race daughter growing up in this, just garbage, racist, um, you know, neighborhood, estate, mm. environment. Uh, and Lorraine has grown up with her own demons. Um, and then it kind of plays as, like, a this, like, cycle. Like, the first half is mostly about Andrea Dunbar and uh, and kind of what went wrong with her raising her kids and her life. And it kind of turns into this story of, uh, of Lorraine and what has happened uh, since since her mother died and yeah we got this cycle of just poverty and abuse passed down from uh, mother to child which is uh really just like really sad this is also a very just dark story Mm -hmm. uh the things that we learn about these people are are not great but yeah um i just i love that it's like we've got the various interviews uh lip-syncing um it is absolutely a gimmick like there's, we've, we've got like, we've got a dock inside a dock. We've got, uh, like a street performance of parts of Andrea Dunbar's most famous play playing out in the streets of this estate while the actors playing her family are watching and they're like kind of giving like interview commentary after scenes. Um, <clears throat> we are, there are so many like ways that we are, are getting information and all of it I think is, uh, is very creative but yeah uh what'd you guys think
0: kevin you want to start you haven't said much on this podcast (laughs) yeah didn't didn't have a whole lot to say uh yeah um i thought it was i thought it was really interesting interestingly done because like a lot of the you know sort of open air performances like i don't like the way they were uh describing um uh dunbar at first i was like oh, okay, like, this This seems like um, something that she probably would have done, like, taken her plays, like, out of the theater context and, like, have them, like, you know, on, like, the housing estate or a similar housing estate. And so I, I wasn't sure if it was, like, being reenacted for the movie, you know, specifically, or if it was, you know, just something that, um, had been, had been done previously. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like the, uh, the, the, as far as the,
1: the, the lip syncing of the, of the audio for the first 30 minutes or so, it was kind of like, I was trying to figure out like why they were doing it. I was like, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent on board with it because I was like, I don't understand a hundred percent. Like why, what the choice is like, why would you choose to do this outside of the fact that it's like an interesting idea to do it. And I, I like the idea that it's a connection to, uh, Dunbar's plays or her stage work. Uh, of course they don't, I don't remember them saying that in the film. They don't, they don't make that clear. I wouldn't have known that, but, but, I do like. I think that's an interesting. That would be enough for me, honestly. If I just read that somewhere, like that would be cool. But then I was thinking about it, and uh, as it progressed, it became more and more evident that, like, it's it's more of a matter. I feel like it's more of a matter of like aesthetic control. Like the the uh, the director wants to be able to have these actors in these locations and doing business or, or or performing the way that that she wants. Cleo Barnard is a is a woman, right? Yes, she is. Okay, performing the way that she wants them to perform. As opposed to just watching static interviews with people sitting in chairs, you know. Uh, or, or you know, if she was to interview Lorraine, she'd have to interview her from a jail cell or whatever. Mm. And it's like this way you can show this actor living in jail, doing things, doing what she would be doing in the prison. Uh, laundry and so forth and all these different things. And you also get the actors, you know, performing and maybe being more performative than the actual subjects you know the actual subjects might just say what they say and not give you any kind of emotion whereas the actors are you know you can read emotion on their in their expressions and things like this so i thought it was a uh, interesting like a, a smart way of getting through the typical documentary which can be quite dry and i think
2: there's uh you know to to get a bit like film schooly here i also think you know we we have so many like layers to this thing i think it 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 establishes and maintains a sense that like we are not presenting or trying to present like objective, um, authentic truth. There is like a level of artificiality here that that also might make it work for me. I I typically there are plenty of docs I really like, but I get so annoyed with documentaries for how edited they feel. And I know Mm. you know that we're presenting a part of this story, and in this movie, it's like we are. We're getting, like, Lorraine, her her take on everything that has happened. And, you know, we learn that this is, like, her take is not objective. Her take is, is not built on anyone's truth but her own. And, like, we see her family uh, absolutely disagree with her feelings about her mother. And mm. um, we see that in some, like, I think my favorite shot in the movie is after she kind of delivers that speech. And we have... Um, the three the two other siblings and uh was it jim one of the former like boyfriends uh in that one shot that shows their reactions to lorraine's speech uh in the the theater seats Mm. oh yeah yeah, i I loved loved that shot anyway um so yeah definitely definitely some commentary here
1: and i mean it makes sense too from the perspective of like as as far as it being subjective that Dunbar's work is concerned with the reality of her situation, right? Like her plays are about people living in that area, in that neighborhood, dealing with those things, dealing with these, you know, uh, uh societal issues of, of, uh, abuse and, uh, relationships that go wrong and racism and things mm. like this. I mean, as we see from the, the play, the parts of the play that they put on in the film. And, uh, so it makes sense that you would have like actors portraying, uh, the reality of the of the situation of this documentary rea- the reality of the subjects of this documentary because the, the, you know it's like it's a it's a mirror to the sort of uh, subject subjectivism I don't even know what you'd call it <laughs> the, the the way in which Dunbar's plays were subjective also yeah. right I mean they're, they're they're autobiographical but they're not like it's not like she is the star of her play right it's like there's a character based on her right so I think that's interesting actually, I actually hadn't thought about that until you just said that just now so that. That makes me feel even better about these. Uh, I I, I did have trouble with, like you said, the first half of the film is about Dunbar. And Dunbar is such a uh, dislikable, (laughs) sort of loathsome person personality. Like, I did not like her at all. And I was just like, she's a horrible person and a horrible mother. And, like, I just... I I felt really – I had a really hard time like sympathizing with her at all even though I think that there are, you know, uh, extenuating circumstances for – like for instance, Lorraine, okay? Like Lorraine I can sympathize with a little bit more even though she's like – she's not a good person either but she's coming from – um Let me look where she's coming from, right? Mm. She's coming from this other horrible person who told her that, you know, at a very young age, I wish I didn't have you. I don't want you. Like you're terrible. Like you're, you know, I don't want to have a black baby and all these kind of things. It's just like there's this cycle of damage and hurt that happens, and where it's it appears as though it begins with Andrea uh, Dunbar, as opposed to. You know, like her parents seem fine, right? Like everything they show with her parents, like they seem like the nicest people in the what? world. I don't know if I missed something there. Well, Did I miss so, something there? Wait, yeah, Andrea's parents—the one, the ones who were Andrea's, like uh, the grandparents, right? Andrea's, like
2: in on TV, like the t- archival TV footage where yeah. her dad's just like, "Yeah, I got to stay home with the baby, so I'm not gonna go see the play." That seems nice, right? But like the the what we get from.
1: And later on, they say that the mother is really... Like, somebody says something really nice
2: about the mother. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, Lorraine uh, Lorraine I mean, is talking Lorraine about how
0: wonderful man. the grandma always always was. Yeah. But, like... Um, but what we
2: get in the play. What we get in the play... Yeah, the the play uh, is, like, the okay, polar yeah, opposite sure, of what, I mean, what you
0: see. So it's, it's like, hard to know, you know, what is...
1: That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I, mean, thi- I guess I wasn't thinking about it in terms of, like, the play,
0: so again, why, mirroring well, her Well, you reality. said it was, like, you know, like, subjective. Like, you know, it's... autobiographical but it's not like the truth but But we
2: do get we do get date like so after the some of the scenes in the play like we'll go straight to an older version of david david who is Andrea's like he was like the hothead brother in the play Mm -hmm. um and we'll go straight to like the older version of david lip-synced whatever uh right after that where he basically is confirming some of the things like that version of him is like it's not that I was racist; it's just
0: I couldn't stand packies. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh. So, so it oh yeah, because like, like they, they closes the scene and then it pans up and like there he is watching himself.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean that's true. I mean, I guess it's, so. It's really more of an issue of the neighborhood or that area in general, mm. or maybe England in general, just being inherently racist towards. Pakistani people that, or that would assume, uh, I would assume that's people true foreigners at all yeah. right
0: like do you guys ever see uh this is England yeah okay no, I'm aware of right that, it's um yeah it's a it's a really neo Nazis right yeah <laughs> like, yeah like I I don't know if it's I mean this may be a semantics thing but it, I, I don't know if it's necessarily like racism but like England's like z, you know just xenophobia and like nationalism especially in the 80s sure. was like fucking off the charts like right. uh um like there's a whole chapter in the book uh train spotting where the character Spud is like i think his like nephew is um i forget i forget where where he's even from but like he has to like in he ends up confronting these uh you know skinheads in one of their local bars in Edinburgh and like uh, you know, it was like a in the chapter it's like a real eye opening thing for Spud as a person. Um and yeah, it's like <laughs> Yeah, like fucking fucking I mean there's definitely a lot like, of like you know, like Thatcher was you know, like yeah. mm-hmm. You know, obviously there's not a lot of good things to say about Margaret Thatcher, but like, yeah, it's like we, we experienced a very similar thing, you know, this past four years. It's like, you know, but beca- like sure. she comes in, she comes into office and all of a sudden like these nationalists and skinheads and stuff are like, oh yeah, now our voice can be heard. And it was a very, right. they feel very emboldened. you know, with like the Proud Boys and QAnon, cannon, whatever you call it, and um, Trump. Right. Yeah,
2: I have um, I had a thought about uh, the point you were making, John, uh, with the like how we see Andre Dunbar in this. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it is it is an important choice that the, we start the movie without any context for who Andre Dunbar is. We only have like it starts with the story told by both Lorraine and Lisa about them being locked in their bedrooms, mm, uh, yeah. setting a fire on the bed, and just like being stuck there until their mom let them out um like at that point like at that point they have not told us a single thing about andre Dunbar besides she's the mom like we don't know or at least i wasn't aware this time yet that she's like a famous playwright or whatever mm. um so i think that like we she is meant to be colored a certain way uh through this retelling so it, it makes sense I mean, that we, we don't like her. Is
1: there? But I agree. It makes sense that you don't like her. But I don't know. I don't know that she's colored away. I mean, I, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't appear. Oh. It's like. It's like. It's like if she. She. She did those things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what so I, mean? I, it's like,
2: I don't mean that. Like,
1: there, they weren't going to present her as being yes. like a saint or
2: anything. There, there is know? a way that we could do this where, you know. Like we at first get her accomplishments and then we get to like the dark side. Oh, right. Okay, right? Mm. that's fair. Yeah, yeah. But sure. instead we start with the dark side.
1: And I mean, even when she has her accomplishments, when she bec- when she gains some kind of minor success by writing these plays and writing the screenplay to the one play, it's like even that she's you know, in the even while she's in the middle of it, she's squandering everything, right? Mm. I mean she's like over drinking mm-hmm. and like not paying attention to her kids and being horrible racist and all these other things. So it's yeah i mean she and and in that way, she's just sort of another in a long line of of writers or you know who you might call genius writers who treat people like shit, mm. you know who people who are close to them, you know like uh like Faulkner or something you know Faulkner is like horrible and horribly racist and horrible to his kids and everything, and you know like the it's 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 a very typical thing among writers, especially. Mm except for the fact that you know this one's a woman which is i think a little unusual but uh but yeah i just feel like it, it, i guess i just felt like i didn't un- i don't know what the movie is right going into it like i know i understand that it's about andrea dunbar i know who andrea dunbar is uh sort of superficially before i go into it i've never read any of her stuff or anything i haven't seen the film but um Going into you, know, I'm, I'm assuming, well, I know that she's a writer, I know that she's a playwright, so I'm assuming there's going to be, like like you're saying, I, that they're going to present her in some kind of light where, you know, we're going to be celebrating her work in some way, but it's really not about that at all, right? It's about, it's again, it's about cycles of damage and hurt. It's mm. about, you know, this, this community producing nothing but pain, you know, coming from this uh, poverty-stricken, horrible place and the people sort of not being able to escape it. And It's just really, really, really sad and fucking bleak mm. as fucking. I mean, there was there's no let up. Yeah, we haven't, even,
2: we haven't even gotten into the like the Lorraine half of this. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which, I
1: mean, that's where it gets
2: really dark. To which yeah. I, I wanted to ask. I, I wrote this down as a note. Um, at what point did you realize that Lorraine was like talking to us from prison? Because they, um, uh, yeah.
1: I, well, I made the mistake of reading <laughs> Andrea Dunbar's uh, Wikipedia page okay. before I watched the uh-huh. film. <laughs> so I, so I knew that her daughter was in jail for uh, neglect, the death of her kid, you know, the neglect of her child and everything. And uh, so I was, just, I knew, I was, and I was like, well, that happened in 07 or whatever. And it's the movies made in 2010. So obviously she's in jail still. Mm. But I mean, you know, It's not surprising. I mean, even before she, even before you realize that she's in jail, she's doing crazy illegal shit. You know, she's involved in robberies and drug use and all sorts of different nefarious activities, which is also really interesting to me because the way that they, I have no idea what Lorraine Dunbar looks like, but the actress they get to play her does not look at all like someone who, you know, I would assume is leading a life of crime, you know? And it's like if you look at Andre Dunbar in the film, actual footage of her like she's a haggard looking woman you know she's looks like she's lived through it you know she's had a fucking rough life mm. and i would assume lorraine's had as rough of a life but she's portrayed in as a very very beautiful woman i mean she's a beautiful woman playing the the character yeah
0: well i think that's um and i'm,
1: I'm assuming that's a choice too but i don't i'm not 100 sure what that what the reasoning is behind that choice but.
0: well i think it might have been like lorraine's um uh self-image Cause there is a there is a scene where like she's talking about how like everyone told her she was gonna grow up and you know really be something because she was so pretty and like right. and she goes and right. and I am pretty I'm I'm very pretty
1: yeah I, yeah that's right I remember that line I remember that line striking me as like that's a really strange thing to say like whoever says that you know I am I'm really yeah right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and she, I mean, yeah and the actress who plays her is quite quite beautiful I hadn't thought about that so.
2: that's good that's good that's good yeah. stuff yeah. <laughs> I wish he had come up with that. I (laughs) know. I've got this full page of notes and not one mention of the pretty.
1: Can I just say one thing? It's not, it's not, it's just a, it has nothing to do with anything. But Lorraine, at one point, okay, like you, you had told us uh, before we watched this, we should watch it with subs. (laughs) And I went into it thinking, like, I don't need subs for this. Like, I'm good, you know. And I, for the most part, I was good, okay? But there was one part where Lorraine says, I started smoking bum buckets. Is that, is that what she's saying like i don't know what don't know. she's saying there is it bum buckets like is that a thing i mean it probably uh, is
2: it's probably some lingo for something because she it's some gateway drug that gets her into to crack cocaine because she calls that well, she's, by its name she, she calls
1: uh marijuana cannabis right multiple times yeah so maybe I was just mishearing cannabis as bum buckets. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Like, 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 bum, saw, buckets saw it, like bum buckets might be like some slang for like uh,
0: you know bonds or something. You know. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah.
2: Could be. I mean, it could yeah. be anything. I just. I, I, it was just yeah. something. I thought there was <laughs> some. F- oh yeah,
0: sorry. I thought it, like. <laughs> so Jr. Texted us earlier about the film and said we should you know watch it with subtitles, and, like, <laughs> and I was like, I texted I texted y'all back like. I've seen Train Spotting and I've read it. Like I think I'll be okay. <laughs> Were you okay? Yes. It was. It was perfect. Ev- I mean, everything was perfectly um, audible for me. But I mean, I, I mean, do I watched like a shit ton of British stuff. So yeah, sure.
1: And I mean, I could see that being an issue. Like with a lot of, like I, I remember when the movie The Witch came out, and a lot of people complained mm-hmm. about The Witch being difficult to understand. I didn't have any issue understanding that. No. But, but no. so I mean I, I assumed I wasn't going to have a problem with this, and I really did. This
2: the was there was just a, there was a lot of like like these guys mumble like these interview subjects oh, they mumble, sure. and that was yeah. for sure was rough for me. But there's a I'm glad I had the subtitles on for a few things like they refer to overdosing as like took overdoses, uh, mm. and I thought that was like every time you have an overdose you took overdoses, which is such a bluntly literal like form of saying that like you took an right. overdose you took an overdose of whatever you were taking of mm. course um but like i just we 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 do not say it like that at all
1: of course <laughs> yeah they have a lot of definitely they have a lot of uh sort of uh different phrasing mm. for for things I will tell you this relates to um I meant to mention this earlier when I watched uh, The Harder They Come. That's a movie I needed subtitles oh, right. for. Yeah, yeah. Because they're they're not only they're speaking in the thickest Jamaican accents I've ever heard, but they are talking so quickly and saying all kinds of shit. I like I could not follow even with the subtitles I couldn't follow some mm. of it. It is out of control. I'm glad you warned me. But um yeah definitely watch it with subs if you right. can I, I had to rent it on uh on itunes i thought it was on criterion oh, channel for some it, reason but it's not oh uh,
2: i think because i said it i thought it was also on oh, criterion channel oh yeah i i think it's
1: uh maybe it was Shit. a while ago but it's mm-hmm. not now i really like the um the play scenes like this the scenes of the play that they put on like in the courtyard oh, yeah. with all the people yeah. standing around i, lo- like, I, lo- I could have watched a whole movie of that yeah. like that was great mm it made me want to read the plays that she wrote and i couldn't find them online anywhere i mean i can buy them on amazon but made me want to read them sort of i am i've been reading a lot of plays lately so
2: so you know the lorraine thing is that through her drug use like she, she she's got these ups and downs in and out of prison in and out of like rehab or whatever and also at one point decides that she should be the person who has her her son Harris uh, mm-hmm. and Harris is basically being raised by a combination of her former foster parents and like with the help of her more stable siblings uh, Lisa and Andrew Andrew's mm-hmm. not a major presence in this um, no but yeah and that and that leads to to this boy Harris, like probably accidentally ingesting uh methadone and they,
1: I, and, they, and they do they do put it forth that there's a there's a thought that she might have given it to them, yeah. but I never thought that until they said it mm. but they did say that they didn't make it seem as though he had had it before and like he wanted more of it, and that's why he sought it out, sort of which i don't I don't 100%
2: understand like I don't know like why he would have had that ever. Right, like um well because he was born he was born an addict they said and he mm.
0: like yeah, apparently okay.
2: he wouldn't stop crying. It, that's that's kind of the gist I got. Like, you know, I give uh my baby a bottle of formula or milk when she is crying and apparently um this baby needed uh like a, a literal fix. Um, so I think that, that's why that thought is there as though like she needed the baby to calm down and knew that it was an addict. Um, but anyway, this stuff is all horribly sad. Um, and Mm. some of the, the reactions or the retellings that we get from the people in her life were, were just like fucked. Like at one point someone says, if it hadn't have been that day, it would have been another day. Like, like a mm, cop right. said that after the death, um, and that fucked me up. And there's like the foster father's, like that was the uh, that was the sister who said that. The sister said, "Well, the cop said that, she that had, to the
1: sister. She had that. lent her she had lent her money or whatever,
0: mm.
2: right? Right. So, but like the oh, when she, she when she told that, that to the that. police, and oh. she was talking about how bad she felt. She said the cop." said oh, okay. this to her i thought she had i thought she which, had just said it out which of, means like it, in almost basically the moment a cop was saying this like mm. and that's that hits really right. really bad and um it's like i think the i wrote down what the the foster dad said just because i it almost made me like cry like we all let harris down we didn't fight hard enough we made the right noises but they were they were pissing in the wind mm. um mm-hmm. and that you know baby stuff is is really tough and it is yeah it's Mm. the worst and yeah that's uh this is this is just a huge bummer and at at one point i was like has like the depiction of lorraine and like telling so much of the story through lorraine like her off of the hook uh for how awful this was and i I don't necessarily think it does Mm. but uh it's something that I, i still kind of like reckon with um like presenting all of this as like the cycle of abuse sort of makes me feel like we're we're taking a little bit of the responsibility away from Lorraine, but I'm I'm not sure how I feel.
1: I mean I, I think I think it's just a it's I can see what you're saying there, but I, I feel like it's more of a I definitely she's definitely responsible for her action mm-hmm. that she's like did some horrible, horrible shit and she you know, but the, to, to be able to say, well, there's a reason, there, not a reason, but there's a there's a, a line you can trace of her shit life and her shit decisions back to the shit life and shit decisions of her mother. And even back beyond that, you know, there's like, look where she's coming from, right? It's like when you look at any kind of like, like a criminal person, you know, who does something wrong, and you say, but well, I mean, you know, part of it is because of the environment that they grew up in, you know? And it's like, yeah, that is part of it. But that's not all of it. Lorraine's partially, I mean, she's at least, she holds some responsibility. She Mm -hmm. still makes the choices she makes. Lots of people grow up in these situations and don't turn out to kill their children from neglect, you know, or or feed their babies methadone or whatever.
0: It's like, I don't know if like the documentary is asking us necessarily to like blame her, but it's definitely like, you know, she is responsible and sure I
1: I, I I mean she's paying the price i mean she's in she was in yeah yeah. Rails, so, and I mean, yeah and she's and you know. she's
0: gonna have to live with the fact that you know she's responsible for, oh, yeah, for that's, the death of her kid and that's that's the worst totally, part of yeah me, I would imagine. Like, you
1: know. it's a rough it's a really really uh trying film yeah it's a very very intense watch and uh i mean it's very it's like slow paced and it's but i mean man is it fucking dark it's some dark yeah, shit yeah. It's, it reminds me of um of uh dear zachary a little bit if you guys have yeah. do you guys see dear no. zachary yeah. it's like it's like that documentary that, that's uh, almost
2: like a more <laughs> direct gut punch uh, and, oh, and a movie designed like much more specifically to like make you angry uh um, for sure and it, it is 100 percent effective in in it's goals yeah. there um
1: I agree. I think the arbor is much more um of a I mean just from its experimental nature it's like just by virtue of the fact that it's it is what it is and the way that it's presented it's not um it's maybe not as manipulative as uh dear Zachary but they're definitely they leave you with a similar similar feeling yeah. I think I mean I was sort of gloomy by mm. <laughs> uh, it and watching
2: it my last note and because I did um you know i you read the Wikipedia before you watched the movie. I read the Wikipedia after I watched the movie. <laughs> but uh, this, like, this family, man, like, apparently Lisa, the the middle daughter, apparently she died uh, just a few years ago of, of stomach cancer,
0: mm, yeah. um,
2: which is rough. Yeah, this is a, uh, like, just the the bad luck thing. Like, I don't know exactly what goes into like a brain hemorrhage. I would assume that the the like alcohol and substance abuse didn't help. Andre Dunbar stay alive mm. but like to to drop dead like that For at sure. 29 is is rough uh stomach cancer in, from your daughter when she's probably in her 40s or no she would have been in her 30s still um that's that's just this is this is crazy it's uh it's awful
1: yeah I mean, it's brutal these are <laughs> it's just all sad yeah. stories why did you make us watch this I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, the only I, I other, forgot how the only other, was, other I'm sorry. Be, be oh, wait, really? Okay. <laughs> the only other note I have uh, is just that I just like was questioning, um, like how like the performances of the actors in the film are. The, can you say that these are good performances? Are they performances? Are are these people good actors? Like how much is no. the the wording doing for them? You know what I mean? Mm, like. Yeah. Would you give someone an Oscar? No, for lip syncing, uh, somebody else's. You know what I mean? Like it's just—it's such a strange. Like I was just thinking about, like, are these people great actors? Because they, because a lot of them were doing really good jobs. Yeah, like real, like the lady who plays Lorraine is amazing, and the woman who plays Lisa is mm. amazing.
2: There, there was a moment to like Lisa in the beginning where I was like, it looks like sh- her mouth has been slowed down to fit. But, um, but I, I got over that quickly. But
1: <laughs> could be. Eh? But yeah, it's just like I was just—I was just thinking about that. I was like, I don't know how to judge these people as actors. Like, is, do you judge them off I'm, of this performance, or is it? A, I, you know? I
2: almost—it's it, almost like they—they they are a function of the form, and they were there to make the form successful, and it is t- to me successful. So it's almost like I—I I don't even think about it as performance, and I'm not worried if they're good or not because at no point. Did they like, was anyone's lip syncing bad enough that I was like taken out of it or something?
1: Oh, I agree um, with that. I mean, I was actually, if, if anything, I would say I was more taken out of it at times. Just admiring how accurate the lip syncing was. Yeah. Like all the ums and erms. And I was like, that's crazy that they, mm. they must have spent so long oh, yeah. memorizing this shit and, you know, practicing right. this. I,
2: this, I mean, this movie must have taken a very long time to, to get right. Um, I'm curious about that. Have any of you guys seen uh, Cleo Bernard's second movie or next movie, The Selfish Giant?
1: No, I have not. I'd never heard of her, yeah. this movie or her
2: the, before. The Selfish Giant was was like a, a moderately big deal for for an indie movie when it came out, and I think I, was, I think it was twenty fourteen when it actually got its American release. But uh, and that's you know, I mentioned to you guys in text. This is like we are in the Andrea Arnold like space in terms of like mm-hmm. um, setting here. And The Selfish Giant is is even more of that, because it's a, a fictional fictional narrative uh, kind of in a, in a similar community.
1: All of her films seem to be, I mean, these first three are, I mean, except for The Arbor, they're, these other two are fiction, right? So, yeah. Dark River.
2: I've I not seen Dark River. It's
1: more recent. It's 2017. you got to see it, mm-hmm. bud. You're missing out? I will.
2: I, I do want to see it. And the, the Selfish Giant is good, um, so I, I do want to see Dark River. Awesome. Mm. Well, uh, ratings for the Arbor. Yeah, I, um, you know, you know me with, with my picks. I'm really into the shit that I pick. Uh, (laughs) and I, I actually liked this more than, uh, the first time I watched it almost a decade ago. I'm giving it a a four and a half.
1: Mm. Kevin,
0: I'm going four.
1: I am also going four and a half. Uh, it was a four, but some of the things we clarified talking about it actually brought it up for oh. me so now now we get to the real nitty-gritty how
2: are we going to do Letterbox roulette mm. oh god oh my god this movie
1: features actors who are not in anything
2: well, no they're they're all <laughs> like in british tv miniseries yeah. stuff exactly. Uh, exactly and you know no 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 disrespect to to these actors who again did a great job but uh i don't know like it's 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 almost monica
1: dolan i've seen four of her films (laughs)
2: well i was thinking like this isn't uh fair to kevin's not the right phrase but like we could do army of the dead knowing that like the top six are gonna be people like we've seen stuff from probably even like the guys Mm. we didn't necessarily recognize um yeah
1: i'm fine with that Uh, i think that
2: that should probably be yeah kevin should have the final say since he didn't see army of the dead
1: Kevin, do you want to use Army or, of the Dead? And we could also
2: do those who wish me dead, because we we definitely know like the top six in that. We could do either one of those. Uh.
1: So it'd be it's a lot of sort of nobodies, but they have been in a lot of stuff on Army of mm. the Dead. And then with those who wish me dead, it's people that you might recognize, right. character actors. Um, and, of course, Angelina Jolie, but you also have John Bernthal. You have uh, Nicholas Holt, Jake Weber, who you would know him if you saw mm. him. <laughs> That's uh chair. How do we not mention that Tyler Perry is in this movie for a what? scene?
2: <laughs> um, I, because I wasn't sure what to make of that scene. Like, am I supposed to think that Tyler Perry was like, like CIA? Scary. Like, is he government? <laughs> I thought he was. Yeah. I just
1: like, they, they were obviously like the, the two assassins work for Tyler Perry in some capacity. So it was like, and they were very like scared of him, scared of yeah. disappointing him. I don't. I don't one hundred percent buy. It. Even though Tyler Should've Perry is teams. a massive, imposing figure,
2: but he's Tyler Perry, so it's a yeah. Little, like I don't know. Not um, yeah. Side. Tr- let's let's not get too sidetracked on yeah.
1: this. Sorry. Yeah. What uh? <laughs> what do
0: you want to use? Kyle? Uh. Let's use those those who wish me dead.
1: Okay. Those who wish me dead. So it's between Angelina Jolie, Finn Little, who is the kid in the movie. See, oh shit! that that'll, that'll be easy. fucked. Okay. Finn Little's been in five things. Okay. So maybe we should skip him. You want to skip him? Yeah. We'll okay, Angelina Jolie, John Bernthal, Aiden Gillen, Nicholas Holt, Jake Weber, and Medina Sangor, who also has only been in three things, actually, so but so bitch. whatever. Anyways, here we go. If we get one of them, we'll, uh, we'll just roll roll again. Okay, so here comes the dice app. Going to roll the dice. Five. And it five. is five. One, two, three, four, five. We'll use Nicholas Holt, All right. since he is the absolute fifth one. Um. All right, Nichols Holt's a good one because I've seen a lot, mm. but I don't know. Who knows?
2: <laughs> ah, I've seen about a boy. I, bet you, I don't know that I have. I have. Ooh.
1: Uh oh.
2: You know what I've well, seen? Think, think... I've seen Fury Road. No, I've yeah, seen, come Fury on. Road.
1: Goofball. <laughs> I've seen Dark Places. I bet nobody's seen Dark Places. Mm. With uh, Charlize Theron.
2: Yeah, I mean, oh, I'm missing, no, seen I'm missing a few of, like, his bigger movies. Um, oh, man. This is great. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel confident. I'll go first. I got a, I've seen 12 of 39. I've seen
1: 30%. Okay.
2: Kevin? Just, just a sec. <laughs> I can't tell. He's reacting That's strongly, right. but I can't <laughs> tell how. <laughs> All right, I've seen I've seen 9
1: well i've seen jr what was your number
2: again 12 oh i've seen 13
0: oh,
2: oh. Yeah. <laughs> i'm trying to trying to figure out which one he marked watched just now no i didn't
1: mark any watch just now i've seen mad max the well, favorite I'm, deadpool i'm too, clicking warm bodies body i'm clicking films. warm bodies
2: to see when you rated that and i bet it's today just, i
1: haven't seen warm
2: bodies I'm kidding i
1: know fuck off
2: <laughs> I've, uh, hey, eh,
1: what do you want me to do? I think, I think the dark, I think we've probably seen the exact same films, except I've also seen this Dark Places movie, which is atrocious. Yeah, I've standard. never,
2: I've never seen a single man. I feel like that's like his biggest acclaimed I movie either. that I haven't seen. Mm. And he, yeah, I agree. I, I haven't seen that either.
1: And I wasn't a fan of, uh, Ford's follow up to this Nocturnal Animals. Mm, that was, well, I didn't hate it. That but was a
2: weird movie. Mm. Cool.
1: Yeah. Anyways, uh, okay, so uh, it's going to be you and Kevin watching this time. So and we're just looking me. For a number.
2: Ke- <laughs> <laughs> Hardy, hard, hard.
1: he just leave? <laughs> he got you. The number is 1774, 1774 1774. In the year of
0: our Lord, 1774. Are we
2: gonna- I don't, know, I don't know if you missed this, Kevin. Last time, uh, we had to pick 100 movies. We picked three oh. different ones, yeah.
1: Because uh, we kept picking ones that were... Like, we picked Sound of Metal was the first oh. one.
0: <laughs> oh, I was my like, well, God. And we all just
1: watched that. And then we picked uh, New York, New York. And was ah. like, well, Kevin just watched that, and he hates it. Yeah. So we didn't pick that one. Hold and on. it's three hours long. So
2: point. you said 1774? I did. Holy shit. Uh-oh. What is it? I mean, it's going to be an easy watch. I just, I'm not a fan. Nice. Um, oh. We're watching Kevin Smith's Clerks. Oh, <laughs> oh, Clerks. Okay.
1: Nothing wrong with that. I've actually been I mean, meaning to rewatch that
2: long. for a long time because, like, I remember there being a bunch of wrong with this, but
1: yeah, it's not. Uh, I remember. It's like I don't. I don't mind it, but it's definitely not my favorite smith film yeah at all. it's
0: one of those where like <sighs> i've seen it like a bajillion times but like it's been a long time since i've seen it so it's going to be interesting to see how it holds Same,
2: up yeah yeah apparently awesome. according to letterbox this is currently on hbo max i guess we'll have to confirm that but mm. this should be easy to find somewhere yeah yeah obviously it, probably your dvd shelf <laughs>
0: All okay. right, uh, Kevin, what's your pick for next time? Next time, we are going to be watching Snow Falling on Cedars from 1999, oh. directed by Scott Hicks.
1: Old Scott yeah. Hicks. Who, what, did, what did Scott Hicks direct? He did uh, Shine. Snow Falling on Cedars. Oh, I never saw that I either. Remember, I remember Shine.
0: Yeah. Oh, and apparently, he did Hearts in Atlantis. Which which is a oh okay st- yeah the Hopkins yeah uh, Stephen King Stephen King yeah. thing, but yeah like um I just I just saw the the cover of this at the library not that long ago and I looked at it and I looked it up and neither of you guys have logged it and it looks like a you know the cast looks pretty damn good so
1: yeah uh, I remember um, people saying that uh, oh you know what. This is not the movie I'm thinking of. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of something oh, else. You thinking of Cider House Rules or something? I am thinking of Cider <laughs> oh. House Rules. How did you get? How see, did you know? See, that? John, you got totally to know what business you're rules. in. I didn't even. I don't even really know if I've even. Heard, I mean, I've heard of snow falling on cedars. I yes. didn't know where that it was Ethan Hawk and. Wow, okay, yeah, this is great. I'm, yeah, I'm into yeah. this. I'll watch this. Got a, this looks like uh, right up uh, JR's alley. It's got a Japanese person on the cover, and uh,
2: he loves Asian Hey, and nominated, nominated for Best Cinematography. It's gonna, I'm going to talk about so many shots next time. Right. <laughs>
1: um, just to confirm, Clerks is on uh, HBO okay. Max. So you guys are all set. Good deal. Hey, Robert Richardson did the photography for this, for uh, Snow Falling on mm-hmm. Cedars that guys yeah. great. He shoots all Tarantino right. stuff.
2: All right, I'm, you know, um, 1950s Ethan Hawke Max von Sydow. Let's do it.
1: Yeah. And and again, Japanese people, you know, you
2: love. yeah. So. yeah and wish this was so uh, directed by Takeshi Maike or something. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so for next time we'll be watching Snow Falling on Cedars. Um, thanks for listening. Until then, visit our website at filmiacpodcast.com. Email us filmmyakpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe or follow us on Instagram. Subscribe to us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram and uh, at Filmyak Podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.